0: Welcome to Episode 6 of the RBM Spokes Podcast. I'm your host, Janus Pizarro. Today we have Joyce Sang, who's a Director of Photography. She's an Emmy Award winning filmmaker and she's based in Portland. And it's filmed for clients like Showtime, Nike, Facebook, and CBS Sports. Um, so some of the things I want to talk about were some of the things that um, we've been researching this week is, as a lot of you, uh, the overwhelming amount of data that you eventually get especially with raw footage in the proper way to store it and as you know the usual thing is after you offload it you want to put it to at least two backups and then one off-site backup they say you're not really backed up till you have three at least um, and some of the our storage has been through RAID and like anybody else uh, buying buying drives and, and then getting them off-site but uh, we're unfortunately at a point where we have to uh invest in a more bulletproof solution um, there are many other solutions such as uh, raids and cloud storage but uh, it's one of the things we're working on and as we progress to that I'm, I'd be glad to share that with you also you know we're all going through the winter blast it's February um, and uh, one one of the things we've done in in some of our uh, spare time is like anybody else is getting reorganized and, and shedding some of the uh, the gear and trying to uh, trying to really determine what we need and don't need. Some of the things I still have that I don't want to get rid of are the MC100s, which are still workhorses for us. Most of the deliverables for many of our clients are still 1080p and uh, the dual focus uh, or dual pixel rather autofocus is still pretty solid and uh, there's other gear that we've kept around the shop that's almost, you know, giving it away rather than just having it on hand and still does some great work. We just recently found out the film that we've been working on called The Session was accepted by the Cleveland International Film Festival, and it will be airing in mid to late March. We're also in pre-production for several projects and um, have found that very interesting and well, kind of delving into whether storyboards are actually worth the effort versus pre-visualization. Matt Workman is doing some amazing work. If you go over to his site called Cinematography Database, and he's actually has built virtual sets and is able to manipulate cameras and characters uh, within the set, and if that could be perfected, that would certainly um, aid in in some of the pre-production work. So without further ado, we have Joyce Sang. Now, um, the, do, you, do you also have a kind of predetermined package or are you, do you get, I, I, I notice Ray posts sometimes when he's looking look for a local fixer, um, you know, that's something that we like to use because there's nothing like having people on the ground already to kind of help you out with certain things, correct?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, we always get a fixer when we go international with the exception of maybe like Canada or something like that, where um, it's pretty much identical to shooting in the States. But yeah, I always recommend, you know, going the the route of getting a fixer. Like they are worth every penny because, you know, they know they know the, you know, filming permits and visas and if you need local crew and just all kinds of things that it just be too much research and too hard to do. You know, you have information that you don't have uh, no matter how much pre-pro you do, so we always get fixers every time we go international, which is more and more and more often these days.
0: <laughs> well, do you find do you find you need uh, how much lead time, or have you determined that? Because there's sometimes where they say, "Hey, we need you in the next week," and I think most of this is pre-production, as you know. I mean, trying to, I mean, finding locations and talent alone, you know, can sometimes be dicey, especially if somebody cancels on you, and you know, you have this huge shoot set up.
1: Yeah, I mean, with international, we try and get, you know, anywhere from, you know, six to eight weeks or more if we can get it, just because, you know, depending on what country you go to, uh, visas alone could take six or seven weeks, Uh, just because it's different when you're going, you know— kind of the proper route with everything which we try to do and go through the proper channels of getting a journalist visa if that's what we're doing or you know getting paperwork done for filming in specific regions that require special paperwork and things like that and so it's hard to do international shoots on short turnaround um nothing's impossible and I think you know if you have the budget and the funds a lot of that gets solved in in different ways but it's still uh it's still tough we're looking at doing a south america trip soon and and it's taken a bit just to kind of line up fixers and get visas and things like that but it's fun i mean you get to experience all kinds of cultures and see things that you know you don't get to experience here you know in the states so i really enjoy the traveling bit of it
0: do you have a uh, do you have a carne that you use when you when you travel or, or have you been able to circumvent that
1: no, we have uh, multiple carnets, actually. <laughs> we have mo- I, we actually. I don't know. Like that's a thing that other people do, but you know, we we actually go through those so often. Like we often have to order more pages, or if we have two separate crews out at the same time, you know, we'll need separate carnets for those. So, yeah, uh, two carnés, two passports. <laughs> You almost that's,
0: can't af- you can't afford not to have one because if your production gets held up because of it, or a piece of gear gets left behind because of it, especially when you're going country to country, which happens a lot, right? I, I'd imagine you're you're kind of stuck if if you don't have it, right?
1: Yeah, that's why we we try to go you know the the proper route for for everything just to make sure that we don't run into unforeseen things like that. You're always going to run into unforeseen things on a shoot, especially when you're traveling abroad, but. Whatever we can do to minimize those chances, we have to do. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, a carnet for everything that we have. And, um, you know, cross your fingers and hope that our fixers are, are good and have kind of taken care of a lot of this stuff ahead of time.
0: Have you, do you have a certain package that you travel with now?
1: We, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, we generally do try and travel with... At least like our camera package so cameras lenses accessories because that's pretty specific to how you shoot and what you shoot with um lighting it kind of depends on the shoot you know with voltage differences and things like that internationally it's mostly easier to just rent locally especially if you need something that's more substantial than just like a basic interview setup um but LEDs have come a long way and that you know that's that helps a bit with being able to like go from country to country with kind of like a like a small lighting package but for the most part i find with lighting it's just it makes more sense to rent locally if if you can and you know that's another reason you get a fixer because you just do everything through them you know it's just it's a lot easier you know they know the rental houses they know grips and gaffers and all of that stuff and it's just a lot simpler than to try and bring 14 cases. I mean, you're still probably going to have like, you know, six or eight cases, but that'll, you know, that's half of what you would bring if you were to bring everything with you.
0: Do you generally have uh, for your carry-on package, the, um, you know, the camera and the lenses, the stuff that you know that you have on use in case they don't get left behind? Do you, do you try to keep uh, that going?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's only so much you can fit in a carry-on. So um, luckily we generally travel, you know with three or four that's like coming from the states so between that crew you can carry most of anything that's expensive and or you know really important to the shoot and you know you check you just got to check the rest of it um you know now we also have to carry all the lithium-ion batteries which is fun because <laughs> those get really heavy really fast um but yeah we we do try and travel with all of our kind of core camera and lens equipment and then you know the rest of it we check and you know for the most part I am actually pretty surprised with the airlines I mean I don't want to jinx it but we haven't really lost anything major or I can't even really think of anything off the top of my head that we've lost in travel
0: it seems less common especially with the automation you know you could literally check that your bags have gotten in and all that other stuff so that that definitely does help things but you know we you know we tend to just have what we have so you know that worst case scenario you you can shoot something correct at least you're not <laughs> you're not left like Oh, <laughs> well, i was gonna dry. say
1: i mean usually it's you know unless you're going into the middle of nowhere where which sometimes we do and you just you know you're in the amazon or something and there's absolutely no know where you can get any equipment you know usually if you're going to a large city you're flying into a large city and there's usually something you know if something gets left behind you know your fixture should be able to help you source it but uh always best to have your own
0: that's true do you have um, a, a set of mods that you always travel with, like a, uh, maybe you know a, a piece of uh, a diff that you know that you can fold up and always have for you to, to, to modify? Is there anything that you like to travel with?
1: Yeah, I mean, those are all checked, but yeah, we do have, um, I love bringing uh, a couple of T-bones. Um, so like Scrim Jim frames that are kind of broken down travel friendly. And then I just bring different fabrics, um, and so we'll have you know uh, diffusion negative for black um, bounce. We have a couple of those, just like fabrics that we can just carry with us easily, especially on a travel shoot, Um, and like a five-in-one reflector that's you know kind of really easy to bring if we you know if we end up going on I don't know if we're shooting a hike or something like that, and you're not bringing a ton of stuff. so we do have some of that stuff that we carry with us as part of our travel kit.
0: And kind of uh, pivoting a little bit on, on what you're seeing now, uh, do you, you see the uh, the the trend kind of going a, a bit smaller and a bit lighter? And, you know, cameras have kind of come along, haven't they?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I was just talking about this the other day with, with another uh, filmmaker friend. Like, they have... Really gotten like quite a bit smaller from what they used to be. I mean, and sure enough, like kind of depending on what you shoot with and whatnot, like that that changes. I mean, you know, from went from when I first started like the video cameras. I don't know if you remember, you know, like the like the Canon XHA ones and stuff like that with the Brevis adapter and the lens on the end. Like it went from that down to like a DSLR, and then now we're you know building it back up a little bit more on on Reds and Alexas and things like that. Um, but for the most part, they have gotten you know, way smaller, um, which is great because you know, I'm used to it kind of coming from that you know event background, uh, I'm just used to moving fast. And as much as I, you know, enjoy being on a big set and, and working with a larger crew, uh, there's just something really fun about being able to move quickly and, and get things that are just happening in the moment.
0: Well, do you feel that, uh, you, you started in a similar position where a lot of us did with, with event, uh, event filming and, uh, how much has that helped, uh, kind of move your career, career along?
1: I mean, I think it's massive. I I really do. I think, uh, in some ways people who started in events or, or weddings, which is where I started, um, you know, sometimes you get a. There's a bit of a stigma attached to that, and it's not you know quite as glamorous as you know as commercial filmmaking or Hollywood you know narrative short filmmaking. But um, I don't know. I really I feel like I've learned a lot in being able to do a lot with not much, um, and being able to work quickly with what I have, and that I think we still use often in the work that we did today, which um, is almost no events. Um, we probably only do a couple of those a year. Um, and you know, all of that branded content that we do, um, and even on commercial shoots and large shoots, there are times when you just don't have, either you don't have the the time and the schedule or something goes wrong and you're running late or whatever, and you just gotta go. And a lot of what I've learned over the years in event filmmaking has really come in handy for me. Um, I mean, not that you'd ever want that to be the case, but sometimes you're just jammed on time. And I mean, I feel like in every set you can always use more time. So uh, being able to think quickly and, and kind of work with what you got, um, I took a lot away from, from that, um, those, you know, my earlier years in filmmaking and, and bringing those skill sets over to what I do now.
0: Well, it, it seems that the pendulum swinging from very, very uh, um, steady movement, the steady cam and then the evolution of the movie and whatnot, that people are almost going back to the, if you remember the monopod uh, 5D roots, where you had to be kind of good at making movement with very minimal tools.
1: Yeah, I mean, the monopod is still in our kind of gear arsenal and something that we bring on every shoot. <laughs> that hasn't, that hasn't changed all that much. Uh, I mean, we've added things like the easy rig and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, the the monopod is still, uh, still being used often, at least in, in our camp.
0: Well, that's nice to know then too. Um, you know, and, and spending your time uh, with, with the production house and then moving on to, uh, the NFL and CBS, tell me about that journey where, uh, uh, you, Was it your first feature uh, work? Was working on um, uh, Game of Honor? Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was, ooh, that was a while ago now. Eight years ago, I think. Eight or nine years ago, something like that. So that was that was a a while back. And that was, uh, I mean, that kind of came from event work too. I mean, that's a it's a feature length documentary. So a lot of that was, you know, going back to being able to get things you know, as it was happening and trying to think ahead and, and get ahead of what, what's going to, uh, you know, evolve. And um, and that was a big project. That was, you know, probably six or seven months of shooting um, a lot. I mean, I think I remember being on shoots almost weekly, it felt like. Um, but it's been great. I mean, you know, since then we kind of developed relationships with um, different producers and directors, and, and that's led to you know, other opportunities and and other features or shorts or or teases. And um, it's been a real challenge and also, you know, a a great opportunity to um, try some different things and and work on a variety of different types of shoots.
0: Do you think that that helped get you kind of ahead of the curve, correct?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess you could say so. I mean, I remember, at first it was, you know, shooting on the monopod and bringing a slider, like that was very new to certain filmmakers and certain types of filmmaking. And, you know, and over time, like you said, like everybody started picking up time lapses. And I remember at one point I talked to a, a sports producer and he's like, gosh, if somebody pulls out a slider one more time, I'm going to go crazy because, you know, everybody was doing it. And then, then that became the movie. And, you know, there's that's the, the trends are always going to be changing, but there's always going to be something new. Um, but I you know I think it's it's an, it's it's fun to like look at something that's been done for decades and decades and try and think of uh, new and relevant ways to cover it uh, differently.
0: How do you reinvent yourself? Uh, how do you how do you continue to try to do that? Because it's not just about gear, correct? It's about I hope it's never about that. But um, what do you how do you what do you look at? What is your inspiration?
1: Uh, a lot of it is just through collaboration, really. Um, I love it when you know we get to work with somebody new, or you know just having dialogue and conversation with the director and just trying to see, you know, what they're thinking and, and talk about different ways that we can we can achieve that. Um, a lot of my inspiration doesn't really come from the film world; uh, it's just through uh, music or uh, textures and colors that I see in my travels and and things like that that aren't necessarily film references but they find their way in in the work that we do somehow and I think as long as you keep an open mind and, and you're willing to try and you're willing to fail because eventually like that's like that does happen um you'll learn and then you'll you'll figure out you know what works and what doesn't work and that's just all part of the creative process
0: I mean that's awesome so uh, you you continue to work with various networks, CBS just being one of them, and obviously you had a pretty uh, a couple of pretty uh, front facing pieces that um, uh, were were really well received, and obviously you won awards for. Uh, which which uh, John Malkovich piece are you more proud of? Or are you are they just like children? You're proud of them both.
1: <laughs> they're they're different. I, I mean I think the first one is definitely some you know one that's gonna stick out in my books for, for a while, just, you know, the, the scale of what we did and, and, and how, how quickly it all had to come together and the challenges that, you know, we had to deal with on set. I mean, that's, I don't think I'll ever forget kind of looking at the call sheet the night before because I can't sleep and then, you know, seeing, you know, my name on there and then, you know, talent, you see John Malkovich and you're like, well, is this actually happening?
0: <laughs> no big deal. I mean, it, it, it's just that. So, like any other set, though, how did you attack that? How did you, uh, or any other project? That, were you just uber organized, and a lot of it was pre-pro, and you knew what your lighting setup was going to be? Uh,
1: we knew. I mean, we prepped for it as much as we could. Um, that being said, that all kind of came together pretty last minute. Uh, that was for the AFC Championship tease, the first one, and so. You know, they didn't know what teams were going to be in it until, you know, the week before. Um, and I didn't get the script until late the night before the shoot. And so, you know, prep-wise, you know, we, we scouted the location. I walked it with the gaffer, and we came up with a plan as best as we could without having final details. Um, and it was, you know, a, a kind of a mad race to the finish. We loaded in super early. I think it was like a 5.30 or 6 a.m. call time. And then we just pre-lit as many locations as we could because we had the orchestra for three hours, and then we had uh, John McLaughlin for one more hour on top of that. So four hours total. We shot the whole thing in four hours. Like that's all the time we had. Unbelievable. Um, I was on a flight, you know, out of out of uh, the airport at 4 p.m. Like we were out of there by two. Uh, it was so quick. Everything was just moving super fast. But you know, the thing is, when you work with A-listers, they're really good. And so the pressure is really on you because every take that they do is golden. So it's really on the, it's really on the, there's no performance like retail, like everything that, you know, that was on camera, it it worked out great from the performance side. So on, on my end, you know, as a DP, you really had to be on it and, you know, your AC has to nail focus and like, you know, there's a lot that needs to come together for that to happen. Um, But it worked, it worked out well.
0: Did you camera opt for that?
1: I did. I did. Um, and then we had uh, uh, Moviop as well for a couple of those shots and, and AC to help and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, being behind the camera and having, you know, somebody like that get really fired up and, and, you know, be yelling at the top of his lungs, that is pretty intense, which is why I probably won't ever forget it. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: I'm sure. I mean, it, I, I just watched it recently, and it still is uh, it still is, it, it's just solid. It's a very solid piece. And... Um, uh getting back to the technical so you, do you prefer camera oping to um letting somebody else do it I take it right
1: uh not necessarily um I I do very much enjoy being behind the camera because that's where I started and so it's a very comfortable thing for me to do um but I also really enjoy working with the team and being able to talk to talk to another camera op or talk to an AC and just kind of figure out like what's the best way to get a particular shot or communicate a specific mood. Um, and so I actually don't do a lot of behind the camera work these days, um, moving a lot over to producing and directing. So it's probably, I mean, I probably let you say less than half, half now shooting behind the camera versus um, taking on a DP role where I'm working with a um, a camera off or I'm just directing.
0: Are you familiar enough with the lens uh, uh, population to say what's going to help your story?
1: I like, I think I have a decent grasp of the tech. I'm not a gear. I don't think of myself as a gearhead, um, But I do think it's really important to know enough where you can have a dialogue with whoever your, your DP is uh, or if I'm on the DP side with, the director to make sure that we're picking the best gear to communicate what we need to communicate. Um, I don't necessarily have like a favorite lens. Uh, I do love certain lenses for certain looks, so um, for some of the things that uh, we did with the Super Bowl this past season, uh, we did a piece that was, that had a vintage element to it, so uh, I went with Cook uh, Speed Pancros for that and they were amazing for the you know, 60s, 70s type look. Um, And then in the section where it was supposed to be modern day, um, I think I went with the ultra primes. I think was what we ended up going with. Um, Just because it's crisp and it's clean and, you know, you got perfect colors and bokeh and things like that. And so um, I kind of have my go-tos, but I don't think I would say to have like a favorite lens.
0: Even more so than a camera sometimes, it can really influence the look, right?
1: Oh yeah, I I absolutely love it. Um, there, you know, whenever the budget allows and, and it, it makes sense for the story, we often rent. Uh, we often rent different lenses, and so um, kind of similar to what you guys do, like we do have a set of cinema primes that we use that we own, kind of on like a like for um, shoots that either don't have that budget or don't require anything specific. Um, but yeah, we often go out and rent, you know, different lenses for different looks. And it's a lot of fun, too, being able to try new things and test it out and, and see that like very apparently different image on screen.
0: And you realize that set deck and, and everything else is, and, and location whatnot is just as important costuming as, as, as anything. You, you realize as, as you kind of climb the ranks. Have you seen that in your own, in your own world?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's massive. I mean, a lot of the things that, you know, we've done, I don't think, I think the art direction, you know, the lighting, you know, wardrobe, like all of that, like is just as important as what I'm doing behind the camera, because without all those layers and elements, you just don't get, that story doesn't come across. And so, you know, we've done period pieces where, I mean, you're like renting you know antique cars from the 1920s and trying to find a you know steam engine like train that's still running and getting the you know the costumes to go with it and it's a lot and you know having music that that fits and I definitely have learned to appreciate all the other departments you know a lot more now that I've been able to do more work that is uh, on a slightly larger scale than what I used to do.
0: You know, the next topic that uh, we were going to talk about is, you know, women in cinematography. And uh, have you felt that there's been any hurdles or or have you been slighted or, uh, you know, where is it today for uh, a woman in cinematography?
1: <laughs> I definitely giggled to myself a little bit when you asked that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's tons of hurdles. I, I think it's certainly there's a movement and things are changing, but it's slow. And it's, you know, it. the hurdles have been around for a long, long time. So it's gonna take a while to turn the ship. Um, I mean, that being said, you know, we see it happening, you know, the, you know, Rachel Morrison being nominated, you know, for her work and, and, you know, other, you know, really great uh, women cinematographers out there, you know, kind of blazing the trails. Uh, I think Mandy Walker did a great job with uh, hidden figures. And so there there's a lot of movement going on in women in cinematography. and um, and that's really exciting, but I think there's still there's still a long ways to go in in finding uh, more people who are willing to kind of crew that way uh, versus, I mean, most sets I go on these days uh, are still predominantly male. And, you know, I don't know, you know, how much of that i think you know kind of speaking you know we talked about gear earlier like you know back decades ago like cameras were like really big and like i i personally probably wouldn't have been able to operate some of those just because of how small i am (laughs) and so i think you know the gear being smaller has kind of you know helped a little bit with that um but then also just finding directors producers eps and people who are willing to, or who are looking for diversity in the crew and kind of understanding all the benefits of having somebody with a slightly different perspective tell certain stories. Uh, I think it's really powerful and it's a really kind of exciting time to be in it and, and also, you know, try and do my part in bringing more women and minorities, you know, on my crews whenever I can. But and but also on, on the flip side, you know, if you're a minority, um, whether, you know, whatever that, however you define that and, and who you are, I think, you know, you show up on set and you, you can you you can surprise people. Like if they're not expecting anything from you and you come in and, and you hustle and you do your part and you're well prepped and you show up and like really show up, uh, people are gonna invite you for a seat at the table. And I think that takes time. That certainly isn't something that happens overnight, but, uh, I think that's actually one of the advantages we have as a minority group on set is you know people don't expect much because uh, they haven't seen it. Not that they don't believe in you. I think a lot of times people do. They just haven't been around enough women on set to really see that that's something that we can bring to the table. And so when we do, I think it's surprising and, and they see that there is a benefit to, to having more diversity on set.
0: That's great. Have you ever had a time or a slow time where you're kind of going, man, what what do we do? Work's kind of slow. And have you had those times? And how have you rallied to, to keep yourself, you know, your chin up because, you know, it isn't always busy?
1: Um, I think I've been very lucky in the sense that, like, I don't remember a long stretch of time where it was slow. Um, it, it was always kind of very fast paced and how... You know in my journey and I think part of that is is kind of the willingness to just push hard and take risks and I think uh or I like to think that you know my work ethic um is something that I'm known for if you if you've worked with me or have known me for a while and so I've always kind of kept very busy and um actually took a quite a long break uh, a couple of years back just to kind of uh, reflect and decompress um and that was kind of the only time that I had, like, kind of intentionally stopped stopped taking projects just to kind of reevaluate what I want to do and uh, the next steps for myself. Um, And in that time, I did, you know, I I read and I wrote and I um, experienced things that I haven't done in a while, you know, like taking a nap, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like all of that. Um, But I think it is really important to to take time and and stop and think, And and I try to do that annually now, which isn't something that I've necessarily done in the past, um, but to just take a few weeks, you know, every year and just break, just, you know, don't take projects, don't go on shoots, and just recharge and figure out, you know, how how's this year been? What can we do better? What do you want to do? Um, Ray and I have these conversations often, and it's it's kind of an ongoing thing, um, and that's, that's kind of... I think really important not just personally as an artist but also just as a business owner just to decide you know what your next steps are and and how do you want to grow if you want to grow Um, all really big questions that are kind of always changing and evolving
0: do you do you uh represent are you do you have representation or do you uh basically fly under your own flag and and that's how you're finding the work and agencies find you that way
1: yeah, we, um, we don't have representation. We don't really, don't do any marketing. Um, I'm pretty bad at social media. I mean, I go in spurts and I have no consistency in how often I post. Um, and it's just been really lucky with um, people who know us and know our work and just all kind of through word of mouth. And we have kind of adopted you know, a business model more of, of working with Fewer clients or repeat clients uh, versus always going out and get new ones. Um, We just find that, you know, new new client education and and onboarding is just really uh, labor intensive and it takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. And so we've been very lucky in um, kind of maintaining a core uh, base and then reaching out to a handful of uh, new organizations or people that we want to work with every year.
0: That's fantastic. Is there a, is there areas that you personally or you know professionally want to try to improve? We're always trying to get something better. What are what are things that you wish you had more time to do for yourself?
1: Uh, I am really trying to work on um, my directing in the past year, year and a half or so. Uh, just kind of by default of how my journey and my career has has taken. You know this path. You know we now have. You know a, a small production company and, and it doesn't always make sense for me to shoot uh, most of the times it doesn't make sense for me to shoot and so you know learning how to lead a team and communicate with talent on set and um, working with the client to make sure like they're getting what they need uh, while we're, main- we're maintaining our creative process and what we want to do you know that's that's work that I'm you know always trying to look at you know ways to improve um, technically, you know, I would love, you know, working on ways to work on our, col- work on our coloring and, you know, really take advantage of shooting and raw and things like that to, to push our filmmaking to the next level.
0: Have you found that you've had to, um, offload some of that, uh, and, and know what you're good at and stay in that lane?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, uh, we, we shot a short that I wrote last year that we're just finishing post on because it's. A passion project that naturally gets pushed to the back of the line. Uh, We're just finishing that up, and we, you know, originally the plan was, you know, we're gonna color it in house, you know, it's my thing, I really want it. Um, And, you know, it just eventually we we decided to send it out to a colorist that, you know, we thought was really good because uh, I think there's an incredible uh, learning experience in working with somebody who's really good at just that part of the craft. And you know, on top of that, you know, we can build relationships with um, other filmmakers who, you know, are like you said, are just better at what they do on certain things. And, and I think um, it's a win-win. It, it really is. Like, it's not that I'm giving up anything. I think being able to work collaboratively with with other people has really, you know, taught me a lot beyond just the filmmaking part of it, but just you know, how to, you know, business-wise, you know, relationship-wise. I think it's all a plus.
0: What, how do you feel about moving into uh, more narrative work? Is that, is that an area you want to see yourself in the next 10 years or so?
1: We're definitely exploring that. We're definitely exploring that. I think we, um, you know, our bread and butter are, is, is more brand films for for companies, uh, large companies. And, you know, we do a lot of that. And, and they're fun and they're quick and, you know, you, you kind of get through a lot of it. Um, but we are definitely exploring more narrative work you know doing our own shorts and things like that and and so you know we'll we're kind of curious to see where that goes as well i mean you know with uh streaming platforms these days everybody's looking for more original content so that's that's kind of like a an endless game of you know who can pump out the most stuff um the quickest and it's it's uh it's a lot i think there's people out there who are doing incredible work and um, it's fun to kind of get our feet wet and see if that's something, you know, that our team enjoys doing as well.
0: Uh, you've been fortunate enough to win uh, a, f- a few Emmys now. And I-, I imagine even if you won an Oscar, you wouldn't just say, oh, I'm done. That, I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I've reached the I reached the top. I think that's only it only kind of would be a really cool milestone.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Nobody does this (laughs) just because they think, you know, this is a job. I mean, it's, there's definitely easier ways to make the same amount of money or more. So it's, it's definitely not about that. And I think, you know, most filmmakers that I know who have been in it for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, like they definitely have that passion for storytelling or for the craft that they're, you know, specializing in, uh, because it is really hard work. I mean, you're, uh, at least for us, you know, gone away from home a lot, you know, the hours are long, you're schlepping heavy cases, and, you know, it's, you have to deal with a lot of different personalities on set, like, there's very little about it that's easy, but, um, but you know what, like, if you like it enough, you, you find a way to work through all of that, and um, I certainly don't see myself stopping anytime soon, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's a lot of, for me, it's a lot of fun, like, I can't really believe that this is quote unquote my job, um, doing what I do. But (laughs) if you're really lucky that it is.
0: Well, some days, you know, you've earned that compensation. There's other days where you're like, yeah, you know, this, I could have done this for free. This is, you know, this wasn't so bad today. Right. (laughs) And then there's other days that you earned every dime plus, plus that. Right. Um, do you ever get to see any, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Well, and I was going to say, I mean, you take, you take the good with the bad. I mean, let's be honest. There's not, not every shoot is great and not every client is great. Um, but there's always something that there's always something that you learn from it. And I think that you know, you know having that mentality is really helpful in, in getting through some of like the rougher patches when you're not exactly enjoying what you're doing, but you know what? like that's part of that's part of life and that's part of, yeah, either building relationships or, or learning something from it. And you know, there are times when I'm on set and I I don't I don't push the creative and I don't really, um, really fight for you know a specific shot or anything because I know like this isn't one of those shoots you know this is going to help me fund the passion project that I want to do but like this specific shoot isn't something that's kind of worth my my anxiety and, and my like you know effort to try and like convince somebody to do something a certain way and you know luckily for me there's not a lot of those but they do happen and I think it's still it's still a valuable learning experience to understand how other people see things and how they work Oh
0: for sure I can imagine that because um, sometimes you just know that you've just got to get to the end and get to the finish line and and provide and make the client happy and and like you said move on to the next project but there are times where it's just so painful especially with the number of re-edits and whatnot and I make sure because we still do a lot of in-house editing that we are versioning those (laughs) so when you're up to like you know 7.4 or 8.4 it's like come on guys uh, we, we got to get close to wrapping this up and and moving on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is that is another reason why, you know, we've um kind of chosen to go with the route of, of working with the same client, you know, on different projects because, you know, once you understand, you know, each, other, each other's process, that that revision cycle goes down by a lot. And a lot of it is, you know, pre-pro and and, you know, getting the client on board early on, but it's still, you know, you've been there, you, it can get out of hand. Um, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things that I think filmmakers or younger filmmakers don't necessarily understand right away. Is like the, the client exper- experience is really, you know, it's paramount if you want return work. It, it's, it's so much more than just the end product, um, you know, way more than like what it looks or, you know, what the story ends up being. Like if they're happy, they'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you know no matter how awesome your story is or how great it looks you know if they didn't have a good experience with you like that's it you're not you're you know that's gonna be your last project with them
0: and it's so easy and there's so many choices and as you know like you said there's so many talented filmmakers out there and really they're your competition and um, which is a good thing I mean there, there should be choices uh, do you use frame I O or any other um, uh, uh, platform to, to get feedback or is there one platform that you enjoy using
1: yeah, we're, we're on frame. So I, all our, our in-house editors and, you know, we work with clients um, on frame and we, we use it daily. <laughs> like I just remember the days when you would like send it in an email and then you would like get back like this like page of notes that's like typed out, you know, sometimes without time code and you're trying to wonder, you know, what are they talking about or which part they're talking about. And it, it's really come a long way. I feel like frame... Uh, for revisions and we use slack in the in the office for uh, like inter-office communication and it's you know it's really helpful in trying to keep all the different projects in check
0: yeah we certainly have our favorites and frame is definitely one of them and to just be able to take that timeline you know and, and import it onto yours or from what they say and with the markers is is a pretty uh it's a pretty cool thing so we we'd like to you know close with really just saying. Uh, Uh, before I say that, do you, do you have any, uh, um, favorite shows or, or, uh, movies that you've actually gotten to see? Do you even get to see movies? Do you get to go out and watch (laughs) movies in the theater or is that just a luxury? You know, uh, are you mostly a Netflix person or is there shows that you enjoy watching?
1: Uh, I actually don't get out to the movies as often as I, as I will like, or as I probably should. Um, but that's also a choice of just, uh. You know, just I'm very much a homebody because I travel a lot. So when I am home, I really like to be home. Um, but I do very much enjoy going to the movies. I think we're talking about going to see Endgame uh, this weekend. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. So that I do, that I do watch. And so, um, yeah, and you know, quite a bit of Netflix. And, and, and so, I mean, naturally, as somebody who's in the industry, it, it, a lot of it I find very intriguing. Um, but I would say, yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones, that's the, that's what I'm watching right now.
0: (laughs) Great. And, and, uh, you know, to close a lot of, um, uh, people have wished they had learned something early on in their career. Is there something you'd give, you know, advice to listeners on what, what you'd recommend they should do to, to improve their craft and, and, and to really just in general be, be better. Citizens, if that's a term in in the in the film industry, rather than necessarily uh, being you know killer filmmakers at all costs. Is there any advice you'd like to give?
1: Um, I guess a couple things. Uh, one, really build and invest in your relationships. I think that I think is paramount by far compared to any anything else. That's at least helped me in my career. Uh, really being uh, collaborative and being a good listener and you know all of those things that um it just really has helped open a lot of doors for me in in being able to build the relationships that i've you know made over the years um the other one is um tell people what you want to do i always say like i feel like as artists we've always want to like do better and refine our craft and we don't want to share anything until it's right and it's it's one of those things where you know it's a process and it's always going to be changing and i think we we need to tell people what we want to do uh things that we're passionate about you know show them things that you're excited you know that you're excited about that you made because uh people for the most part i find you know they want to help you but they can't help you if they don't know what you're trying to do. So whether that's them making a connection for you or getting you on a project or whatever that may be. um, I feel like uh, I really benefited from talking to people about what I'm passionate about and having uh, different opportunities come out from that.
0: Hey Joyce, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate your time and uh, where can we find you?
1: So we're at onlytoday.tv. So that's our website. And then you can find us at onlytoday.tv on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. And you can find me on my personal account at Joyce C. Sang uh, on Instagram.
0: Well, Joyce, thank you for coming on. And uh, hopefully uh, we we get you on uh, at a later date. But thanks for being here.
1: It's great chatting with you.
0: And there you have it, Joyce Sang. Aside from being, again, a wonderful person and quite talented, she's uh, just always willing to share and and, how, and always has been generous with her time, so we really appreciate it. As always, we thank you for listening, and if you want to check out more about the podcast or go to our work at redbicyclemedia.com, please share the show with anyone that would be interested in filmmaking and a cinematography. I'm looking forward to some of the guests coming on in the next few weeks. We're lucky enough to have gotten some people you might recognize, but more importantly, they're willing to share their time and and uh, go over um, their knowledge, which I think is always a value to all of us. Again, thanks. See y'all next time.